1: room this is bill evans your host from orlando florida on the phone with me tonight from dallas fort worth is joe salant uh reconstructionist abolitionist conference speaker rap artist joe welcome to the war room
2: hey you know first of all it is just uh it's just it's an honor to be on the war room uh you know straight from the
1: front lines with my man bill evans it's good. Uh, thank you for having me on today well, brother, you have you've been making waves. Anybody who is uh, familiar with Facebook has uh, been watching for the last month or so. Has probably saw your your official coming out. When you, I think, it's the first time I became really familiar with you. You've got some warriors there that you're with there in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area. But I wanted to give you the chance to speak to the audience tonight to tell people a little bit about your your background as it pertains to what we what's come to be known as the Ministry Industrial Complex and how it is that you have come to be where you are today, and then we'll take it from there. Right. Well, um, so I come from a secular humanist household.
2: If both parents are um, well. My dad's a, a doctor, a pretty pretty well known psychologist, and uh, my my mom's uh, as well involved in counseling, secular counseling. She has several master's degrees and stuff like that. But uh, seeped in humanism, seeped in humanism, even you know paganism. Though there's really no not that much of a difference between paganism and humanism when it gets down to it, really, with presuppositionally. Um, but, so, coming into the ministry, I, I wanted to, like, I, it, after, I, after I got saved, I wanted to destroy the worldview that had me enslave. Um, humanism. I wanted to destroy that view, and I got saved in a Pentecostal environment, um, and the pastor at the church where I got saved, and it was really like a prison type, was, I was I was actually, I got saved in the back of a police dog, trying not to go too back too far here, but um he uh he recognized the gift uh in me to to teach and things like that like I was leading bible studies at a, a christian men's home with uh other uh other people that had gotten out of prison I, I'd get five thirty in the morning at four thirty in the morning and, and leading a bible study in the cafeteria which had garnered like fourteen or fifteen people in it and um uh you know people in their own volition you know coming in the men coming in to hear the word uh which is me kinda of just basically practicing exegesis and so he, he wanted to send me to the King's uh, King's College and Seminary, which is Jack Hayford's school. And so I, I went into this thing as kinda of, I wanted to I wanted to be a theologian and an apologist, but from my very first exposure to my training up to be a you know a, a, an effective combatant in the kingdom of God it was right in the, it was right into seminary it was, it was, I go into mentor and then I'm right into seminary and in seminary it's, it's like it's just kind of like a hotbed of ambition to want to kind of climb a ladder and get a position and obviously it's not just all bad uh, but the institution itself has bad presuppositional roots. Um, and uh, I think there there I mean there's a really there's some really good info on that on, on Reconstructionist Radio uh, uh dot com. The problem with the seminary, Gary North. Um, but in this in this institution I so I wanted to I wanted to have a position somewhere. I didn't know where, I know I wanted to be an apologist. And uh, going through the curriculum at the Kings and very dispensational, very premillennial dispensational and so that's goes well with classical apologetics. So for those who aren't familiar, classical apologetics tries to uh, demonstrate God from so-called natural law arguments or, you know, the the classical arguments for the existence of God, cosmological, teleological, moral law, uh, resurrection, and then goes into scripture, kind of like a step-by-step process, like if you can convince the, the atheist, you know, if you can give them enough information down the line, they'll become a believer, they'll be whatever. So, um, Bad presuppositions, but some good information there. And, uh, so I really, really, you know, was going through this, uh, going through the motions here of, of just amassing this information, um, from this perspective that wasn't reconstructionist at all. And I was, I got to starting, starting to climb the ladder quite quick. Uh, my, I, I released a Christian Rath album. It had a lot. I had a lot of apologetics in it. So, and I was making a lot of connections at the school. After I got my bachelor's degree, um, I had speaking engagements here and there. I did a twelve-week studies for Reasons to Believe uh, apologetics. I uh, had a circuit going off of that, um, and I just started to really kind of entrench myself in the whole parachurch ministry circuit. scene, the, uh, you know. Um, getting, being the paid expert uh, to come into a church and to do a few songs for the youth and then to do classical apologetics and, and try to defeat humanism from really a humanistic mindset, but I hadn't got there yet. Um, and so it was after I had got my bachelor's degree and I already had maybe, you know, 10 or 12 churches that would, you know, come and, you know, kick down money for me to speak and I was trying to interview for different positions, pastoral as uh, outreach director, you know, type positions like that. Um, it was, when I got in the seminar, I really started getting into uh, Francis Schaeffer. Uh, and, and the reason why was it, it wasn't for any necessarily, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily for a good motivation. I just want, what I wanted was Francis, Francis Schaefer provided a presuppositional approach to, to apologetics, which of course, he got from Van Hill and, and Rush Dooney and, and Bonson, obviously, but or maybe not Bonson. But um, so, so Francis Schaeffer provided me a quick uh, way to be able to like dissect the atheist argument, and so I just liked presuppositional apologetics as it was, as I found it in the uh, in, in the in the pages of, of what I was reading through Francis Schaefer and stuff like that. Uh, that he is there, uh, the God who is there and is not silent. Um, and it was just an easy tactic for me. But the more I kind of read into Schaefer, the more it was kind of like the gate in for me. It was kind of like eroding the whole classical inside-out approach, dispensational, seeing things in bits and pieces kind of approach. And so that was kind of like what the spirit used to really open the door to show me that you know I wasn't seeing Christ as Lord in all areas of life. There were certain areas of His Lordship that I was kind of kicking into the future, and that I was accepting kind of like a neutrality in life. And that was it. it was it was it was starting to it was a seed that was planted. And as I went further on, uh, and I got my master's degree and stuff like that, I was more more churches were, were coming into the picture i uh a couple of benefactors uh liked my work and they placed me in these big conferences to uh speak to pastors evangelical pastors you know kind of just like the right wing fundamentalist uh right wing idolatry type uh type stuff uh, you know republican party equals christianity type stuff um and I developed and honed a message that kind of whipped that crowd up a bit and I developed music that was very flag waving and and all that, and so I, I had, I was actually making quite a bit of money on this circuit with these churches
1: through these uh, through these
2: conferences and things like that. You know, leading up especially to um, uh, the, the election cycles in 2014 uh, and 2016 uh, were just absolutely huge for me, and uh, I, I loved it. I I, I Looking back in hindsight, I really liked the idea of being that kind of paid gun, that hired gun. I, I, I still had, I wanted to destroy humanism. I wanted to destroy secular humanism, but I was kind of being, I was kind of more caught up in the uh, in the whole celebrity light of it, and, and, and wanting to be, you know, if you wanted I wanted you to be able to Google my name.
1: You're at this point of your life, you're on a fast track. To get a large congregation, be in the dough, be on the speaking circuit. As you look back, as you recall now your your walk with the Lord, your your devotional life, your character, was that track that you were on? The applause, the uh, the praise that you were getting, and, and and all the acclaim, was that having any effect on your personal walk with God? Uh, when I was Kind of trying to climb the ladder of the ministry
2: industrial complex. I, I, I think my character was awful. Um, now, I wasn't, you know, involved in any overt sins. Um, I wasn't doing anything culturally unacceptable during that time of the ministry industrial complex climb. But, I mean, hey, I, I wouldn't go out and evangelize on my own will, like, just for nothing. You know, I, I wouldn't go out there and, and do... I, I, and I'll talk about my experience with the pro-life movement, which is just the wing of the ministry-industrial complex. But I, I wasn't going out there to do pro-life ministry just on my own volition. Now, now I'm not saying that everybody who's in the ministry-industrial complex, so-called, was, is, is, is just as bad as I was. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But, but for me, it became it became a profession. It, it, it became a mindset. It became an identity. I was worth something. And if I wasn't, like, if I wasn't getting my gas covered, you know, that was a bad thing for me. It wasn't just, you know, going in the, glo- glo- you know, it just, just going and trusting the Lord and going in and, and building his kingdom and, and, and taking the land for King Jesus. It wasn't any of that. So I think my character was awful. Um, just based on that alone, he, he wasn't Lord over even the ministry aspect of my life. It was a, it was an aspiration that was building in me and building in me and building in me, and I mean to the point where I determined my words based on what people thought of me as an apologist, what people thought of me as a minister. Do
1: you think that and goes with the
2: territory, Joe? That is that is I that? I think it's a, I think it's a trap, man. I really do. I, I really do. You know, I, I think that it 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 if they trap, and I'm not like I said, I know a lot of godly men and women who are in the MRC and but I do think it's a it's an allure because you can be in this complex for your entire life with a respectable Christian testimony and not be expected to institute the victory of God in all areas of life and that's a bad thing I mean when you think that if you can if you can have if you can have an upright quick Christian witness in a nation, where we have over 60 million babies slaughtered on the altar of secular humanism, where we have the god of the age as the secular humanist idol in all of the high places in the culture, controlling it is basically culture as religion externalized, right? And so the religion externalized of this culture is the religion of humanism, and if you you can be in this ministry industrial complex and live an entire life of so-called faithful service without ever sm- even coming close to the battle of smashing that idol at all and yeah i mean if you if you can live in that kind of comfort and and there's and there's money there and there's there's honor and the fame of men and you could even give the appearance that you're fighting and and, and be known as an apologist and a warrior but not really have to sacrifice anything there, yeah, I mean it's, it's a trap, and I didn't even know how bad it was getting in my life until I started to see these compromises that were just taking over my character. My character was awful. I remember um, coming off the stage at a uh, conference in um, in Southern California, and it was in it was in Riverside at the at the Mission Inn, and I was opposed by a A pro-life ministry and um the uh the pro-life ministry i talk about this in my uh statement on on leaving the pro-life movement the my my repentance statement my first one um you know the pro-life movement it was i mean to me that was just kind of how you fight abortion and humanism and abortion are wrapped up together at this point in time I'm, you know, a weird mix of a Shaferian apologist and a pre-millennial, and you know, whatever. I'm basically whatever I am to, to, to do apologetics at your church. You know, I'm, I'm I'm basically that. That's what I am. Um, and I get this, this the, the pro-life ministry approaches me, and they uh, they would like me to come on as their spokesperson and uh, outreach director, and so. The first thing I do, I'm, I'm just, I'm really pumped by it. It's a, it's a decent salary and they'll let me still do my speaking circuit and it's great. Everything's like super cool. And so, but at this point in time, like I didn't really know the inner workings of the pro-life movement. I kind of knew, you know, yeah, you pass incremental laws and all that. And, um, you know, there's some ministries that like the graphic images. Some ministries don't like the graphic images. Some ministries are totally secular. Some ministries mixed in Christianity. Like, I kind of knew all that stuff. But, I mean, the thing that was most important to me wasn't, does this honor God in all areas of life? But, hey, I get to fight evil with this group and get paid for it. And that's so cool. God, you're blessing me. And so I really sharpened up my game in being able to – You know, to send these incremental bills, like the uh, 20-week pain-capable bills and the the heartbeat bill. I thought that was a radical bill. Oh, if we could get the heartbeat bill, that would save 90% of the babies in in our country and things like that. And never once, never once did I stop to think, is this – I never once did I stop to think covenantally about this. Is this evil? Is what I'm doing, doing evil so that good may come? And I remember two months after accepting the job with Pro-Life Ministries, being in the kitchen with two pastor friends of mine, uh, John Mink and, and, and John Noyes. I was in the kitchen with them, and we were talking. And we were talking about, it, the conversation got around to the, the 20-week bill. And if you were the last vote on the Senate floor for the campaign-capable bill, were you yes or you no? and these, here are these two pastors you know uh that are i mean they're they're just good friends of mine men of god in the ministry after the a complex like you might say um but honorable good good men i mean solid 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 brothers in the lord and 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 those with a true pastoral heart and knowledge and wisdom and They're like, no, no way. They didn't, they didn't even think about it twice. It's like, there's no possible way you could cast your vote on that and say that that, that Jesus is okay with that. And I'm sitting there, I rattle off. I remember I probably took about an hour in the kitchen giving them the whole, all the stats behind it, how many babies we get saved, you know, how many states would need to adopt this before we get to the next step. And I mean, I'm like, I'm hammering it to the point where they're 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 not able to come back with anything except for it's the law of God, which is and this is just coming naturally from them. Like, no, we're not writing a bill that implicitly allows some babies to be killed that just is against God. And so there's as as I'm making these arguments, it's like the spirit starts working on my heart. I remember sitting there and thinking, Goodness, what I'm doing right now. This is wicked. I don't believe this stuff, but I just kind of stuffed, stuffed the spirit and just kept going. And and you can you can look, you can stop me at any time here. As I keep going, as I as I as I go with this ministry, and as I go out to do um, the pro life work, we go out to the abortion mills. I'm leading a team out there. Um, activism. The the and, and then I run across a, a lot of abolitionists while we're out there. Um, and these abolitionists are out there preaching the gospel, and the way that I, you know, fight and do activism pretty much has always been, you know, with the gospel and presuppositional apologetics and showing them how their worldview doesn't line up and, uh, you know, whatever. So I'm out there, and I'm fighting with these abolitionists, and... The ministry I'm with is kind of trying to get me, like, to not fellowship with, uh, you know, those who identify with abolishing abortion and, and, and all that other kind of stuff. They weren't really dogmatic about it, but they were like, hey, yeah, you know, we don't really, you know, associate with abolitionists. We, we, you know, we, we kind of keep our distance from them and, you know, and I explained that kind of in the, in the statement on leaving the Fellowship Life Ministry, uh, the background behind that. And I remember getting into a argument with an abolitionist. Uh, regarding punishment of women out there. Uh, again, I was actually uh, coming off the stage from speaking at a Voiceless premiere, the movie Voiceless, and uh, an abolitionist uh, named Trent uh, approaches me and says, um, well, what about the punishment for, I want to punish all the women who, uh, who murder their children and, and you know charge them with first-degree murder. And the first thing that pops out of my mouth is, well, that's bad for the movement. And, and I'm like, listen to myself. What do you mean that's bad for the movement? Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, but see, so my character is awful. It's like I'm doing things, and the Spirit is showing me what I'm becoming. I'm becoming a man of the machine, and the machine's focus, its presuppositions, are humanistic. It is. We talk about Bill Clinton. Uh, being a situational uh, ethicist. you talk about him with, you know, Joseph Fletcher's ethics and all that. Um, and that's exactly what I'm doing here and exactly what I'm arguing for and exactly what my cohorts in the pro-life movement are arguing for and exactly what my peers in the evangelical uh, pulpit circuit argue for. It is, we okay, humanism has already been established, and now that it's already been established, let's do what we can around the edges and make the most money and get the most name for ourselves that we possibly can. Now, I know people aren't very cognizant of maybe that's everything that's happening, but it's, 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 it's a awful character. It is terrible character to know what is right and then do what is wrong. You're a blessed excuse, Jesus said. So, yeah, it was a horrible thing. Um, the pro-life movement is simply a wing of the ministry industrial complex. It's, it's wrapped up, uh, in one of the, as one of the same. And, and by the grace of God, uh, I was able uh, to leave, uh, that pro-life ministry, uh, for, I was, I was located in, 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 uh, in Southern California. And I was able to, uh, by the grace of God, my, my financial situation had just become, it was, it was terrible. The amount of money that it cost to live in Southern California is so ridiculous. Um that I had, a, you know, a, a benefactor, uh, man of God that, that wanted to support getting me out to be a spokesperson for a super PAC, a conservative super PAC in St. Louis. So I went out there to St. Louis. Uh, this is like, maybe, this is like December or January, uh, last January. And so I'm, I go out there, and um, when I get there, I still, I'm part-time with, with survivors, uh, still part-time with the pro-life uh, ministry, just like kind of doing spokesperson work, and you know, maybe I'll fly back and do an event or something. And then I'm uh, full-time as a spokesperson for this uh, super PAC, conservative super PAC. But it gave me tons of time to read, and it gave me tons of time to separate myself out and figure out, well, what is it that I really, really believe? I mean, what is it that, um, I mean, am I going to be, it, it, I mean, what am I? Am I a professional kind of ladder climber? Or am I somebody that really is focused on the covenant of God in all areas of life? And so reading and getting into uh, uh Vance Hill, getting into, to Rush doing getting into Gary North and then being exposed to uh uh Bojadar Marinoff and Act to the Root podcast and this podcast the War Room, Reconstructionist Radio, like like God is pouring these resources into me and I and I'm just devouring them and devouring them and devouring them and I'm seeing all this happen and now I'm starting really to to kind of connect all of the dots. Previously, I've read a lot. Like, I've read Van Hill in seminary to kind of disprove presuppositionalism and to to, to defend classical uh, classical apologetics. My, you know, it's my William Lane Craig style and all that. So it's like, but now I'm seeing all this in a new light. And the spirit is separating me out. And I see uh, this, uh, this monkey business that goes on with the, the dog and pony show with, um, a Judge a, a Neil Gorsuch, uh, his nomination. Now, now, this guy is a guy who comes from a liberal, uh, a left-wing, I don't like using the word liberal for uh, leftist causes, but, um, a, a, a left-wing, a, a church, so-called, that, uh, has a, a, a female pastor, uh, supports the, uh, uh, uh the, the infanticide of the unborn, supports child sacrifice, supports homosexual uh, sodomite so-called marriage. He himself is a supporter outright of sodomite marriage. And they're, they they have this guy, and they're, they're, they're sending out fundraising letters. All the pro-life ministries that we're supposed to be friends with, they're sending out fundraising letters saying, hey, we're the ones... If you send me fifty bucks, 25, 50, 75, seventy five, one hundred. If you click here and donate now, we will be the ones to get this originalist Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. And so, for me, that was like one of the last throws. I was like, all right, no way. So I click. I, I just I click the live uh, the button, go live on my Facebook, and I just start going off on that. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Neil Gorsuch, he'll be the one. He'll be an originalist. You know, I mean, like, how many times do you have to, you know, fall for the same trap? And, and what kind of scoundrel would send out a fundraising letter based on this guy being the one that will be the silver bullet and all that? And, and, and then I get into the whole idolatry of trying to base our movement against evil on the decision of, of a tyrant in, in a black robe in, in Washington, D.C., in a court. Courts can't make laws. There's only one law, and that's the law of God. And 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 so I'm, I'm I'm going off on this kind of stuff. And then the people who are liking my post or who are liking my video are all abolitionists. And like and like some of the pro-lifers are coming on there and liking it a little bit. But I'm getting a little bit of like, you know, you can tell there's some tension in the room with it. And as I as I'm reading and as I I make another video in support of church repent. Uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and you know, because it, 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 the, the, I'm just, I'm just, am I'm just putting out what's being poured into me by the by the Spirit. This time of separation in,
1: in St. Louis. Let me, and, uh, let me, let me, let me, let yeah. me jump in and ask you a couple questions here. This yeah. may be of interest. Uh, how how is it that you came to stumble across? you know, Reconstructionist Radio and our, for that matter, Christian Reconstruction in the first place. It's not like we're located at the corner of Hollywood and Vine.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, that was providential. I, I stumbled upon um, Reconstructionist Radio because of uh, an abolitionist, uh, 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 Jason Sanchez, um, and I believe it was when they were out at doing the um, Project Nineveh in L.A., I was watching some of his videos, saw that he was the founder of Reconstructionist Radio, I clicked on that, and I'm like, oh, look at all these free resources, super cool, and so I just started devouring the resources from there, uh, but I saw Jason Sanchez out there arguing with, um, with some of the ministry industrial complex uh, pastors, whatever, at the G3 conference uh, in L.A., and uh we became friends online, and uh and that's how I got it, it introduced to, to on radio
1: man your your uh, um matriculation into full-blown, unadulterated abolition and Christian reconstructionist, which is really flip sides of the same coin, was pretty fast. I mean, it, it evidently. I mean, you simmered for a long time, but once you started to boil, it didn't take you long to boil over. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and uh,
2: like you said, um, Christian Reconstruction is is abolitionism is just the application of Christian Reconstruction. Now, you don't have to be a uh, identified as a Christian Reconstructionist to be an abolitionist, but what abolitionism is, is delivering man from the dominion of man. I mean, to the extent that, and even you can go on, you can go on the uh, uh, abolish human abortion website and look at some of the memes where it says, we're not, uh, we're not at war with abortion. We're at war with the worldview that makes abortion possible. Like that is what abolitionism is about to the extent that, Somebody will think that we're out there as a single-issue group trying to just end a specific sin. Um, They're wrong. But to the extent that an abolitionist will think that way, they're doing themselves a disservice. Abolitionism is about the destruction of the worldview that says man created God. It's the destruction of the worldview of relativism, of humanism. You Child sacrifice is so ingrained in our culture. It is it is it is such a such such a part of the fabric. It is it is in the high places everywhere, because this idol is so dominant where it is entrenched right now. And it's so it's such a weak idol. To be real about it, it is such this thing could be gone tomorrow. But the point is that unless. You, unless Christianity, true Christianity, Christianity covers all areas of life, unless we have a full-orbed gospel as the rule for the day, unless God's law is realized in our society, you will have abortion as legal law, as, 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 as legalized lawlessness. There will be no abolition of it in a vacuum. There will be no abolition of that and then, you know, gay marriage still stands, for example. Um, I say this uh, because that's what we mean by the application of Christian reconstruction. We, Unless this society is reconstructed based on the sure foundation of God's law, you will not see the abolition of abortion. You simply will not. And any abolitionist who disagrees with that, that's fine. You can say, oh, no, we might be able to abolish this person and other things will be abolished, but humanism could still be the law of the land. You could still have a tyrant making law in the Supreme Court. You could still have, you know, uh, executive dictators running all over the place and, and, and you know, destroying rights, assigning rights, destroying rights, so on and so forth. You can think that way but and, and still be an abolitionist on the issue of abortion. But that's not really what abolitionism is in in, in its fullest sense. Abolitionism is the delivering man from the dominion of man. It's related to the dominion covenant, the great commission, the lordship of Jesus over all areas of life, the establishment of the foundations of God's throne, righteousness and justice will not have, the uh, abolition of just one sin in a vacuum, and everything else is on fire. Especially a okay, sin of this magnitude. Yeah. All
1: right. Let, let's go ahead and take a break right now, and then we're going to come back after the break, and we're going to get tactical, and we're going to talk yep. about what what's next and how to become more sophisticated in our in not 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 with worldly wisdom, but how we how we can go further, faster how we can see more comprehensive change, how we can be more effective in reaching our brothers who are still in the fog, so to speak. So we're going to stop right now, and we'll be back uh, after this brief announcement.
0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. All
1: right, we're back with Joe Salon for the first half of the interview. Some of you may have heard some of that before. Joe gave us a little bit of glimpse uh, the inner bell, the belly of the the beast called the Ministry Industrial Complex, his time in the belly, and his uh, rapid uh, rise to fame and fortune, and then uh, the Holy Spirit used a couple of good brothers to begin to crack his his perception of that, and then he told us a little bit about how he... Uh, discovered Reconstructionism through some abolitionists. So Now, Joe, what I wanted to, to really pick your brain a little bit on a, a more of a tactical uh, nature, and that is you've been involved in Church Repent. You've been involved in Operation Frontlines. You've been involved in uh, abortion mill ministry. And, and I was on the phone last night with Russ, and, and Russ is a, is I think is a tactical genius, and uh and he, he and and we've got there's big things in the works that are not ready for public uh, consumption yet. But right. in terms in terms of obviously the church repents as it's been done by a hardcore select few brothers yourself, and it's going around obviously in a lot of different locations, but. Sure. That that doesn't appear to me to be a strategy that lends itself to large-scale. Uh, it, it's generally only a few, a few brothers and sisters at a large congregation, by and large, ignored. It's more like you're calling, it's almost like a ministry, a Jeremiah or Ezekiel ministry, you mentioned, where you're really preaching the word to basically condemn them and to seal their judgment, as it were, uh, we read earlier from, from Isaiah where God it brings a charge, as the judge brings a charge against the elders and says, you're the one who's ruined my vineyard. And so you're bringing, a, you're, in a sense, it's like bringing a charge against the uh, ministerial elite, the clergy class, so to speak. The question is, is, as abolitionists more and more, hopefully through their study in the Word and, and the, the Holy Spirit illuminating them, and the sharp, iron sharpening, they're going to get better uh, with their uh, – they're going to become more skilled workmen who, do, who don't need to be ashamed, who have sharper, better arguments. But obviously – and the Holy Spirit uses that, of course. But I guess my concern is, is how – and hopefully Reconstructionists who have been Reconstructionists who've, who've got all the tenets of Reconstruction down and they can they got all the boxes checked and They've got all the right authors and books in their library, but they've yet to get out on the street. They've yet to put their 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 uh, feet to the pavement and go out there and start doing the lifting. Hopefully, more and more that's changing as they're feeling more and more convicted. And certainly, the the example of the of abolitionists that we see on on Facebook, Mike, they're being spurred on to love and good work. They're being spurred to act. My question is: is from your 180? what are your what would be your advice and what is your what are your thoughts as you're as you're thinking ahead i know that this is something that you a good bit of your mental energy is devoted to how is it how can we begin to work a more thorough widespread um, message to the body of christ at large i mean there's hundreds of thousands of congregations tens of thousands of congregations uh hundreds of you know tens of millions of people uh church repent, where does it go from there where, where, how do we begin to engage uh you've been on the inside you know how these guys think presumably to some extent how do we yeah. how, how how do we get how do we get more better at what we're doing right okay first
2: uh and and that's that's really, really, really an important uh, question, and this is the line of thinking that I believe is just spirit-led. Um, obviously, you know, it, it advancing the kingdom, you know, taking the land for King Jesus, um, uh, calling the church higher, uh, calling Christians to abhor what's evil, leave to what is good, Romans 12, 9, to expose evil, uh, to destroy the ungodly thinking that defends evil, and um, the obligation of the church is is to be the salt and light in the in the sin spoiled world. It, it is to put evil underneath the feet of the bride of Christ, the faithful wife of Proverbs thirty one. Um, and so this is we need to be thinking forward thinking. We we can't be a We can't be uh, uh, stuck on any one strategy. But before I give my thoughts on that, I think that we I need to address one common fallacy, uh, untruth that's that's spoken about church repent, and that's simply that church repent has no fruit, that it's just a bunch of, you know, rebels and ragtags going out there with signs, making people mad, upsetting little children with signs of graphic images outside of local uh, gatherings, and that there's no actual fruit. Nobody's mind is changed. That is 100% wrong. My mind was actually changed because of church repent um, and it's part of the testimony that I actually I, I tell this you know a lot I don't think I did a Facebook live video on it but because I Gordon uh, uh, Gordon Runyon did an awesome uh, 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 podcast uh, episode of, of setting the record straight on on how church repent affected him actually the most controversial church repent project the one outside of you um, uh, uh, Amelia Ramos' is a church out there, uh, in, in my area, my society, <laughs> a, uh, Abolition Society of Little uh, and, and how that, I mean, check out that Gordon Runyon, setting the record straight last podcast and see the group there. But me personally, um, I was, when I, just getting into like the, the pro-life movement and, and just as soon as I got that, that job and everything, um, My wife sends me this this video, and it's of, she's like, check out how this church is treating, check out how these pastors are treating this this guy. And it's funny because, like, I was actually trying to look and see what I had to do to get my press kit over to this church to try to maybe get on, like, with their youth group and stuff. And it was Reality Church in Ventura, and the guy was Todd Bullis. And this is like, this is like way back, and this is an old video. Like the video is like, I think from like 2011 or something like that. And he is out there with just a sign, just a regular sign saying church repent. And I don't know, maybe another sign or something. It wasn't kind of as sophisticated as we have it now. But he's out there, and these two pastors are like grilling him, like about, you know, who your elders and and how dare you to be out here talking to us about this, uh, this single sin and what about all the other sins and what about divorce and all that. And Todd's just out there, I mean, my man, I love my man Todd Bowles, man. He's just, he's just out there standing on God's word, man. He's just out there like, well, what about, the, what about this? What about the fact that the church isn't doing anything? And what do you do? What are you guys doing at, at, at all? Like I've been, I, and it comes to fight he'd actually been, uh, asked to leave that church. Um, and was trying to be a member of that church, you like he went through all the proper channels and, and the whole nine yards and everything, like that, wound up out on the sidewalk with a sign. Um, and I saw this, and it was it was it had a remarkable a mar- a remarkable impact on me. It didn't it didn't cause me to repent right then, but it caused me to see this guy is right, and the, and the paid pastors, the hired guns, the ones who are out there on the, the ones who are on the dole, out there speaking to him are wrong, and it, it, planted a, it planted a seed, so I am definitely, it, 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 it was like, I, I, I never forgot that video, I, I never forgot that video, was my first exposure really to abolitionism, though I did I don't even think Todd was a so-called abolitionist yet, then, but it, it's just the whole thing, the way God works and the way the Spirit works, I'm proof of the Church Repent Project, it, it, that, that video had a profound impact on me. And Gordon Runyon is is fruit of the Church Repent Project. And if you and there's a litany of pastors um, that you can go through that are leading congregations now that, that have been affected positively by either seeing videos of the Church Repent Project or even having abolitionists go out to their to their sidewalk. Um, if I was a pastor in a church and I saw if I go out, to, if I look out on my sidewalk and you had AHAers or whoever with signs saying church repent, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to check their literature. But the first thing that's coming through my head isn't, oh goodness, what is everyone going to think of my church? The first thing that's coming to my head is, wow, it looks like the Lord sent some saints. Cool. I need to repent. You need to repent. We all need to repent. We need to get active. Like this is awesome. Like what do you... And, and that's the, that is the correct response. That is a, it should be brokenness. It should be humility. It should be something. For me, it would be excitement. Really, I would go out there and say, "Yeah, we need to be doing more." I'm sure you need to be doing more, even though you're outside of here with a sign. You need to be doing more too. And 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 let me take a look at your literature. Obviously, if you're you know coming from some kind of pagan humanistic view, we're going to have to address that. And maybe if you're not saved, the other big thing is. If you're not saved, a lot of the way that these pastors treat, you know, church repenters out there, uh, the church repenters who they tell their congregants, don't talk to them. It's like, it's like if, you know, it's like they don't have the gospel. If they really thought that those church repent abolitionists are unsaved, why wouldn't they be sending out their people who they've been preparing in their pews, who give their tithe money, who give their resources to them to be trained up? Why wouldn't they be saying, yo, go get those people, you know? Like, because that's not the mindset. And and, and so they, so basically, you know, the, the reaction to church repent itself is is, is 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 fruit in two ways. One, people have been moved. Hearts have been changed. The Spirit has used the weak and the foolish things, the Todd Bullis's, the Joe Salon's, the, the Matt Tringali's, the Jason Sanchez's, the Toby Harmon's. Uh, uh, the you know down the line down the line uh, Jeffrey fishes all the you know can't mention them all now sorry to leave anybody out but down the line the weak and the foolish and the shameful and the rejected and the rebels and the raiders and and God has used this group to to stand outside of these buttoned up churches and to call them to repent and it has had a huge impact for positively and then that prophet we can't you pinpointed the Jeremiah. Ezekiel type of prophetic sign. Why it's like lying on your side for the three hundred and ninety days. It's like it's a demon. it's a it's a demonstrative sign that shows the way that those who are caught up in the humanistic churches react to it. It's so humanistically. How dare they how dare they show this church to be something that it's not? This church is perfect. This church is a church that is standing on the word of God in the midst of a fallen world, and, and, and knowing, as, as T. Russell Hunter said in one of his Facebook statuses like, uh, recently, knowing that if you duplicated that church by thousands, by a thousand, by ten thousand, that it would do nothing, nothing to affect the change of the institution of the law of God in all areas of life in our culture. And so the sign is against them, and that is born huge fruit, huge fruit. The fact that church repent is being talked about everywhere and that, the, the, and that it's only a couple guys out there with a sign. It's only two guys out there in front of a church of of, uh, uh, of 2,000 or, or, or four guys out there in front of a church of 10,000 or whatnot, whatever the numbers are. The reaction that we see is God it's ex- 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 exposing evil in and of itself. Now, where do we go from here? Is this um, I believe it was uh, uh, John John Andrew Reesmer, one of my uh, favorite uh, uh, Reconstruction writers, um, and check out his uh, kingdomandabolition.com and fire up and down that website. He pointed out on a a recent uh, strategy page, the closed page, he, he pointed out that well, we can't be married just to holding signs outside of the church. And, you know, is that always the best tactic? Not to compromise, not to say, oh, we're not willing, we don't want to hold signs or whatever, but there may be, is, there, is there, are there other tactics? What are the other tactics? And, and where do we go kind of from here? I, I think that on some level, Church Repent will always be about huge signs and grassroots and 10 meetings and that kind of feeling, the outside-of-the-church type of feeling, because that's what we're doing. We're calling them to come out. We're calling them to come out of the walls and, and into the culture and take the land for King Jesus. So, of course, it's going to have that feeling. But it needs to go elsewhere. It, it, there, we, we need to take this message, because what church repent is, at its base theological, philosophical level, It's it's metanoia. It's it's shuv in the Hebrew. It is the it is the turn. It is the 180 degree turn that we are commanding in the name of Jesus. The saltless, lightless church landscape, ministry-industrial complex landscape to undergo to 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 take. This is a this is a call for repentance. Which precedes revival, and then after revival, we will have revolution, and after revolution, we will have the restoration of the order of God in every area of life. But that is not going to take place unless the church repents. The church needs to be on its knees. Now, there's a, and I'm I'm sure most of our uh, listeners, uh, or a good portion of them, will find the. azusa street revivals uh, to be heretical and uh, obviously you know i'm not a cessationist at all but you know some some of the stuff that went on during those revivals was very you know sensational to say the least but one of the most profound stories about these if you if you if you read about what happened in the azusa street revival like the main figureheads, like the two or three main creatures of the revival most of their time at the revival with their head underneath the pulpit in prayer and it's like there was no exaltation of any man and it was all about like they were sincerely waiting and expecting the spirit to do something and regardless of what you think about the, uh, um, the Zimbus Street revival and the charismatic renewal that followed and all that, these people went out with you know dispensational theology and all, with garbage theology and all, and hit the mission field in droves, went all over the place, and and like a, a lot of them to like foreign countries where they were expecting the spirit to like do like acts two and and make them speak in different languages and things like that. Like they were, I mean, and they were turning the world on its head, even with the, the, all the garbage that they had going on. All the garbage. Like, if you don't believe me, look at, I mean, Bo even has a podcast on missions where he talks about, like, you know, how, how weak, uh, uh, how, how uh, uh, charismatic Pentecostal missions, like, just dominate for the money, the reform missions that we have. Um, and uh, that's because of repentance. That revival comes just with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So whatever method, whatever the delivery method that the spirit is going to use, we need to be sensitive to that. And we, and I believe this is, you know, this might not sound super tactical or whatever, um, but I keep on coming back to the fact that if we're just obedient in the moment, and like my man Todd Bullitt says, if we just do the work, that the Lord will show us the next step that we don't have to have everything planned out for this, but we have to be obedient in the moment. You cannot be a Christian Reconstructionist. I'm sorry, this may sound harsh, but you cannot be a Christian Reconstructionist and think that the churches as currently constituted in our culture are doing the job. So all we need is more submission to the structure that's already in place. The lampstand is gone. The salt is being trampled underfoot. In the state of California, Biola University, in a tough fight, this is a this is a seminary now. Okay, this is a this is a seminary. This is a seminary now. Close fight almost had to allow three hundred fifty pound two three three hundred pound football players uh, in the women's room, in the ladies' room. I mean that's how like. And this is, this, is, this is pushed by a, a lobby of, uh, of, of humanists, of pagans, that are less than 1% of the population. But they just think they're going to win, and they just do what it takes to win. I mean, the, 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 the LGBTQS lobby, they don't care. They think they, they are going to win, and they are dominating the church. The Reformed churches, too. Presbyterian churches, all these types of churches. Cause they, and and here's, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If the churches actually repent, and we're not talking about every single church. Let's just take Texas for an example. Texas has over 30,000 churches, over 70,000 pastors, slaughters over 60,000 image bearers of God in the place of the incarnation while the Creator is knitting them together every single year. Just passed, just killed an abolition bill – in, in Austin, Texas, and the churches, the ministry industrial complex, by and large, those who were active supported a bill, Senate Bill 8, that had language written in it saying that you could, could, can, in the positive sense, vacuum suction little pieces of an unborn child into a collection container. Are you kidding me? These, If you're telling me that this and if this ministry industrial complex, if you just take Texas as a microcosm, one of the red states, the conservative bastions of liberty, Texas, right, move to Texas, get some freedom. Well, if, they can't do, if we can't even do this, if we can't even do this in Texas, show me that church in Texas, show me the congregation in the state of Texas. That is actively training every single member of their their fellowship to confront this idol of humanism wherever it lies, whether it's in the public humanistic indoctrination centers, whether it's a, a secularist law enforcement humanistic a, a law a lawlessness enforcement with the police, uh, a border enforcement, uh, I, wherever the humanism is 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 entrenched. Show me, if you want If you want to show me what the model is of what we should submit to, show me a church, fellowship, a gathering of believers that is just out there just slaughtering the, the, the idols, It is out there on the front lines crushing it. And I'll say we need to duplicate that. I'm not saying take every church down indiscriminately and build it up into something else. We're not just saying that. What we're saying is that this is a lifeless, lampstand and salt is being trod underfoot of men and it needs 100% to repent and be revived. If any Reconstructionist disagrees with that statement, then you're just not a Reconstructionist, so you don't believe in the victory of God here and now. Is it that we don't have enough churches, enough submission, enough elders? What are we lacking? We're lacking repentance. And when you tell a, a Christian that is that has repentance, and that is out there doing the work, that is out there on the front lawn of the high school talking with the kids, that is out there in front of the abortion mills, that is out there in the courts, that is, that is using social media, and they're out there just demonstrating the lordship of Christ, obviously, in their home, but in all areas of life. And when you tell them that they, you know, who are your elders, who are you submitting to, and you don't know that they have – what if they don't have – what if there is no – Fellowship in their area, so-called. It's established enough to be considered a so-called "quote-unquote" church by you. What, what, what are you? What are you burdening their conscience with that they should just go submit to some uh, a session, to some to some board of men to submit their activity to to those who need to repent? Those may, who make it's even worse if they have the correct ideas and they're just not practicing them and not holding the sheep accountable to them and not leading from behind, not being on the front. Show me leadership is not something that you get from a credential out of Westminster Seminary West. Leadership in the biblical sense is, sense is servanthood, and it's about smashing the idols of the age. And we just don't have that many local fellowships that are doing that. And so the fellowship that I'm in is just linked to my abolitionist society here. Me, brothers in the Aboriginal society, is growing a little bit. We're outgrowing the house or whatever. But I'm sure that's just not good enough for the ministry industrial complex uh, figureheads who, you know, who, who have this idea of a solid biblical church. As if you just need to just go fellowship in a solid biblical church somewhere and then everything will be solved. Newsflash. We're church repent is about building solid biblical churches. And the irony of it all is that the thing they scorn the most is the message that is needed to transform this culture. And this ball is going to be rolling. We don't need – we obviously need to strategize. But the more we can just be sensitive to the spirit and not compromise and not cave, there's reconstructionists out there that have great churches, that have great fellowships, and that are doing great things. But those are the 0. .0001% of what's going on. We don't need huge numbers, but we need
1: that faithful 300. And that's what Curse for pen is about. Well, in case you didn't catch it, we got our strategy, our tactical tidbit right there a few minutes ago. We don't need to know the big battle plan. God knows the battle plan. We just need to be faithful where we are today, or as uh, Roger Oliver said, start where you are, use what you've got, do what you can, and God will bring the increase according to our faithfulness and our faith. Reformed types are real big on faith as the means and the basis for justification, But they sometimes are a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that faith is the fuel that drives the engine of the body of Christ in its conquest of the world for Jesus. Maybe we need to get a little bit more charismatic up in here. Maybe we need to get on first name basis with the Holy Spirit up in here. Maybe we need to invite him to baptize us with fire up in here. It doesn't take a uh, numerical superiority as the world judges it. It takes a few faithful men and women. The word tells us, his eyes rove to and fro over the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are truly his. But one thing I've, I, I can tell you from my naval experience, warships don't fight at anchor. You cannot fight a ship that is not moving. We want God to direct us. We better get moving. You can't steer a ship that's not moving. Your words really are a mild rebuke. Well, what I I, I think that, look,
2: if, you know, I had uh, 100000 or whatever it is that I owe for my education and all that. Um, the, the one thing I still have from it is, you know, the, look, I, I've, I've experienced. The Holy Spirit with these with these people in in act of like an act of expectation of the Holy Spirit gifts signs miracles wonders I thought I thought used the wrong way obviously I could even say that it might have been the majority the wrong way but the the doctrine of, of cessationism for I mean all practical terms and purposes and all scriptural terms and purposes which anything that's practical really is going to be scriptural at the end of the day um, it just does it doesn't hold water. It, it doesn't hold water at all, and this doesn't mean that we need to be out there, you know, acting like fools and acting like idiots. But if we really think that we're going to be able to accomplish the victory over evil, in in if we're going to take, if we're if if our, if we really have this victorious theology and eschatology, um, you know, that teaches us that we have this dominion and, and that it is exercised. Uh, through this covenant grace in, in all areas of life, and we will put this Moloch state under our feet, and abortion will be abolished. And get out there and break the jaw of the dragon. We are the Bride of Christ. We're going to stop regulating child sacrifice. If if we if, if that's really who we, if if we really believe that, do you, if we, are we really going to do that just without the without the active power of the Spirit of God moving us as the as the pillar of fire? And, and that's, where, that's, that's what it's going to be. I mean, uh, now I'm not saying – I, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying the strategy is not going to be this. It, you know, I'm just saying I don't think a strategy has completely coalesced. I think what has coalesced at this point in time is the mandate that the church repents. That we get on our knees, broken heart, contrite spirit – and that the institutional structure itself is, is brought to the – look, Bo talks about – and I talk about Bo Marinoff a lot because, look, Bo Marinoff applies the acts of the gospel to all areas of life in just a, in, in just a tremendous way. I mean, there are those that want to, you know, take him down because of his attitude or whatever they have. Obviously, he goes right for the idol, and whoever's trying to guard a specific idol is going to have a problem with it. But but Bo talks about in a a podcast institutionalism and relevance. He talks about institutionalism just being city walls guarding what's in. And if we we gotta look, we gotta repent and look inside of these city walls in this ministry industrial complex, and look inside of these churches, and and look and so look and and start really in, in 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 no in look no I'm I'm not missing any words with this start seriously with the face with our face on the ground crying out to God in sackcloth and ashes, repentance and in expecting his spirit to move and do something that we could never know, eye hear is or ear is heard, whereas is it into the heart of man, the kind of power that will be released on this nation and our culture when the church actually uh when the church repents. And um was that's just the
1: message that needs to happen. Our God is the same God as Elijah's God and as Moses' God. God has not changed. Everybody who listens to Reconstructionist radio needs to be in a prayer group. And they need to be praying strategically in, inter- in intercession, praying for other brothers and sisters around the country. With that, I'm going to ask Joe take us before the throne of grace lay hold of the, the horns of the altar, and let's pour out our hearts to the Lord and ask him to make us the men and women that we need to become to take the fight to the enemy, to love not our life, even unto death. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you. I appreciate the, uh,
2: the opportunity. We, uh, we approach the uh, throne, Father. We give you the, the honor, the glory, uh, the praise, Lord. Lord, we are, we are sitting here, we're, we're, we're your people. We're the called out ones, the, the ecclesia, Lord God. Um, we're the ones that stand on your word, that, that, that establish the foundations of your throne, Lord God, that, that go out and proclaim the message um, that your kingdom is here, God. And, Lord, that you have, you have poured out your spirit, in in this age, Lord God, and that that we are this demonstration of the activity of your righteousness, your law, your love, your justice, Lord God. And, And your will will be done on earth. Your will is to be done now on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Knit us together, Lord Jesus. I pray for all of those within the sound of my voice on this, War Room episode, Lord. I, I pray that you would just bless their family abundantly, God. That you would set the biblical order in every household, Lord God. Every need in the physical realm, Lord God. It just would be met, Lord God, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God. That, that we would have, Lord, as a result, Lord God, just of, of you just being gracious towards us, we don't we don't deserve anything, Lord God. But that we would have this spirit of repentance, Lord God, that would just fall on every one of us, Lord God. And that we would put aside the divisions, Lord Jesus, that we would stop trying to protect our reputations and stop trying to protect our seats or even stop trying to protect those things that we even feel all right, Lord, but that just don't necessarily line up with your word and a comprehensive gospel in all areas of Lord Jesus, that we would have humility, Lord God, that your truth, Lord God, would win, that your love would win in us right now as your army, as I speak to that 300, as I speak to the, the called out ones, Lord Jesus, that are in the fight, Lord, that we would be a demonstration to the church of repentance, of unity, of victory. Lord Jesus, of, of humility. Lord God, that, that we wouldn't just be seen as this bickering group on, on, on social media. And, and yeah, there, there can be rough things said and there can be in-house fighting, Lord. But Lord, you desire your body, your pride to be unified. You hate those that so discord, Lord. Lord, At the end of the day, God, we're just, we're these earthen vessels that you have breathed into, your spirit, your rule Lord. Please, in the name of Jesus, help us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, Lord. Help us not think according to to position or title or place or power, but, but help us instead think, Lord, that we are just a member of the Bride of Christ, and at this current time, The bride of Christ is not moving in the power that you have set out for her to move. The bride of Christ is not looking like the Proverbs 31 woman. Now, we're seeing rumblings and we're seeing trembling. We're seeing that bride possibly rubbing her eyes to to awaken out of her slumber. But right now, Lord, it's it's just not happening, Lord God. The idol of humanism is where it is. We are not taking dominion. And we don't even seem to care all that much, Lord God. We don't seem to care all that much about your law being established, Lord God. Even those of us who are in this fight, Lord God. We don't care enough, Lord. We need to repent, Lord God. Grant us this repentance, Lord Jesus. Let your fire fall. Your victory is assured, Lord Jesus. The victory of the gospel is assured, Lord God. Let us walk in this victory. Right now, I pray a blessing on every brother and sister that disagrees with me on mandatory membership in the local church. I pray blessing on their family. I thank you. For the parts of their ministries, Lord God, where we line up and even the parts that we don't, Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord God, that you would crack the ground and truth would win. Truth would win. Truth would win. You would break hearts towards repentance, Lord God, and that we would fall on our knees and realize the God that we serve and the people that we are, Lord. We are your people, Lord God. And finally, Lord God, I just pray a blessing on the rising generation that we would look out at the rising generation in our household and especially those in the secular humanist indoctrination incubation centers, Lord Jesus, with more of a sense of urgency Lord God, to reach their hearts and minds with the gospel because the victory of God will be instituted in the generation that is rising, Lord God. And, we just don't seem to have a battle plan for that area that is just completely working itself out, Lord Jesus. And our own families and those who consider themselves reconstructionists, even sending their kids out to be educated by pagans, so-called, Lord, help us see the value, Lord God, and the strategy in the rising generation Lord Jesus. It, Lord, even if it looks like we're not going to defeat this idol in our prime, Lord that we impart that victory to the rising generation, and maybe they shake down the idol of humanism. But either way, none of that's going to happen without repentance. Lord, grant us this repentance. If it breaks me, if it throws me into the poorhouse, whatever it does, Lord God, whatever it does to anyone within the sound of my voice, the gift of repentance in the name of Jesus, Yeshua Hamashiach, our glorious Lord and Savior, it's in his name we pray.
1: Amen. Amen, and I'm thinking of a... Paul's admonition to the Thessalonians, do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil, and, and may God count us worthy of his calling, and that by his power may he fulfill every good purpose of ours, and every act prompted by our faith. And we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in us and we in him. So thank you, Joe, and thank you all for joining us on The War Room.
0: Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by My Soul Among Lions.